Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Hey, ho, let's go. Yeah, hey, no time to mess around. Nope. I'm going to try my hardest to stack this into an hour. Do not, under any circumstances, miss this show, which if you're listening right now, you clearly haven't. But don't tune out at any point. I, this is going to be the timeline show. If I can't fit it all into one, it will be a course of two episodes. But this is going to sum it all up for you based on the feedback from yesterday's show. I've been working on this all night. I like haven't slept doing this. All right. Let me get right into it. I still got to take care. We got to pay for the show. Today's show brought to you by our buddies at iTarget. Uh, if you haven't uh, checked out iTarget yet, is the best way to improve your firearm accuracy. Anybody can own a firearm. The question is, can you shoot it accurately? This is the best way to practice in your dry fire uh, practice at home and to do it safely. What is the iTarget Pro system? It is a laser round they will send you. Uh, along with a target, and it comes with a phone app. Now, what is dry fire? Dry firing is when you fire an unloaded weapon, of course, safely. Look and check, check twice, check three times. That's a safe and empty chamber. Look, feel in there, right? When you dry fire, you practice your trigger control, you practice your sight alignment. The iTarget Pro system allows you to do that in conjunction with a laser round you drop in with the firearm you have now. You don't have to make any special modifications. When you depress the trigger on this laser round, it emits a laser onto a target. That way you can see where the rounds would have went. It's the iTarget Pro system, I get tremendous reviews on this thing from everyone from self-defense advocates to first-time gun owners to cops and military folks who need to work on their accuracy. Go check it out today. It's at iTargetPro.com. That's iTargetPro.com. The letter I, iTargetPro.com. Promo code Dan. Save yourself 10%. Remember, competitive shooters drive fire 10 times more than they live fire. Range gets expensive, folks. Go check it out. iTargetPro.com. All right, folks. I'm going to do my best to get this all summed up for you. I've been working on this for a while, so uh, seriously, I haven't slept much. Let's get going with this. Okay, the timeline. Oh, wait, one more thing, because this is important. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of complaints about yesterday's show, not the content, but people say, what are you saying, Dan? You said justice isn't coming in the case now. You said they're going to use Manafort as a scapegoat now. and get out. That's not what I was saying. I do believe justice is coming in this case before I get this is a perfect way to start. I believe there are going to be serious consequences. I do believe there are people in the Justice Department and the FBI who know what's going on. I was simply trying to tell you yesterday, that's Andy McCarthy's theory that they're going to use Manafort as an out and say, look, Manafort was a bad guy the Obama team screwed up but they had reasons and it was because of Manafort and everybody see you later I that is not what I'm getting from my folks I'm just telling you that's what McCarthy thought so have no fear folks you're like what happened Dan you said justice is coming now you're saying it's not no it is okay Let's start with generalities first 2012 obviously Hillary Clinton sets up a private email server note during the course of that private email server, And that private email transactions, we know she emailed Barack Obama, despite his assertions otherwise. 2013, we know the FBI begins working with Carter Page. Carter Page, who later goes on to become the boogeyman in the FISA application that the the, uh, Obama administration, the FISA spying application, they grab as they grab against Carter Page. But he began working with the working with with the FBI, Carter Page, on a case against the Russian uh, a person affiliated with Russian spies, uh, the uh, the Buryakov case. That's in 2013, 2014. The entire effort for the Russian reset collapses. 
Oh, by the way, a lot of this is, uh, I, just so you know, I don't mean to keep interrupting, but it's critical. At the show notes today, one of the better timelines I've found is at CherylAtkinson.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, I'm going to use some of it. I'm not going to use uh, some of it I, I don't uh, like. It's, she's, it's very detailed from a journalistic perspective, but it doesn't tell some of the story I want to tell. But it, I will put it up in the link, to be fair, because I do use a lot of it. And she did a really good job. Uh, Russian reset collapses in 2014 as the Russians invade uh, Ukraine. Now, interesting, right around this point, a former Clinton official, Alexandra Chalupa, begins her investigation into uh, or begins looking into Paul Manafort, who later goes on to become the Trump campaign chairman. He has some ties to Ukraine. I told you yesterday, if you listen to yesterday's show, Manafort is going to be uh, the new Democrat boogeyman for this after they passed on Papadopoulos. And now they're starting to run away from their Carter Page story. So the Russian reset collapses. The Democrats now realize that all of their efforts under the Obama administration to appease the Russians through the Uranium One deal, all of that goes out the window because the Russians invaded a friend of ours. Ukraine, not going to happen. NG, no good. Okay. All right. Summer of 2014, the Benghazi committee gets word that the emails from Hillary Clinton that they're grabbing are not from a state.gov account. So keep in mind, 2012, Hillary sets up the private email. Uh, 2014, the Russian uh, uh, Russian reset collapses. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a Benghazi investigation that happens after that. They get wind of Hillary having a private email server. That's how they found out about that, for those of you who don't know. It's all important. This is all going to tie in later. Just follow along here. But there's a lot to get to. 2015, the FBI opens an investigation into Terry McAuliffe, governor of Virginia, about some donations involving people who are associated with the Clinton Foundation. McAuliffe meets with Andrew McCabe, a senior FBI manager at the time. Fascinating. McCabe's wife goes on to run for office, Jill McCabe, for state Senate Virginia, and gets $700,000 from Terry McAuliffe-affiliated groups. McCabe is later placed in charge of the Clinton investigation on emails. Hmm. March 4th, 2015. Again, hat tip Cheryl Atkinson. New York Times breaks the story about the Clinton emails. About Clinton email having, the Clintons having a private server, Joe. Mm-hmm. This is March, 12, March 4th, 2015. John Podesta, Clinton consigliere, known Clinton affiliate, Clinton mouthpiece, then sends emails worrying about how Obama emails are, uh, are, are about how, Ob- excuse me, how Obama should uh, suggest that they should withhold these emails. Podesta, in other words, Joe, emails people within his circle because his emails are leaked later in a phishing scam he fell prey to where he emails and says, hey, listen, folks, Obama should claim presidential records uh, treatment here and should block these emails. Right. Why is that important? It's important because the entire reason the Obama administration had to, let's say, nudge, to use a Cass Sudstein word, to nudge the Department of Justice not to prosecute Hillary for having an illegal private server is because she emailed Obama. I've been telling you this the entire time. She emailed Obama. Obama is implicated in this whole thing. Podesta is already worried about that, knows the genius of Hillary emailing Obama. I think she did it on purpose to rope him in, knowing once she ropes him into the scandal, 
that he can't possibly push his DOJ, Department of Justice, to prosecute Hillary because why, Joe? They'll prosecute, have to prosecute him too. Right. Right. Podesta knows this. He suggests, by the way, this is important. He doesn't suggest they use executive privilege. He suggests the Obama administration block the emails based on confidentiality and presidential records. Why, Joe? Because if he admits executive privilege and tells Obama to use that or pushes Obama to use it, they have to admit the information was classified. Right. <laughs> Genius. These cats, aren't they? Hmm. Devious little tigers. <laughs> March 2015. Loretta Lynch, keep in mind, this is right after this, the New York Times story about the Clinton emails. Loretta Lynch tells Jim Comey, FBI director, to call this investigation into the Clinton emails, Joe, a matter, not an investigation. Right. Which jokingly becomes the subject of jokes later, as people suggest it should be renamed the Federal Bureau of Matters, not the Federal Bureau of Investigation. March 7th, 2015, three days after the New York Times story about the Clinton emails. President Obama says in an interview that he learned about Hillary's private server through news reports. Fascinating. Considering he's already emailed Hillary at a non-state.gov email. Wow. That's impressive. He learned about it through news reports, despite using the email, Joe. Amazing how that happens, isn't it? Mm. Cheryl Mills, Clinton confidant, who is later allowed to sit in on the FBI meeting about Hillary Clinton, uh, with Hillary Clinton, on about these matters, by the way. Cheryl Mills, Clinton confidant, later in an email to Podesta and others, contradicts this and says, hey, we better get on board with this. Basically, the president said he found about found out about the emails through news reports. But, hey, he's emailed Hillary on that state.gov thing. Joseph, that's not possible. Mm. Cheryl Mills says something's rotten in the state of Denmark. Ruh-roh. <laughs> Also explains now the reluctance of the Obama team to push for a Hillary uh, prosecution because, again, Obama's on the emails. How many times I got to tell you this? This is the problem. Summer of 2015, the DNC is breached. We still don't know how. The narrative will form later that the DNC was hacked by the Russians. There is still no direct evidence of that because the FBI was never allowed to investigate the case. October of 2015. Obama emails are now covered using the presidential records uh, exemption, which I told you about before. Not they're not using executive privilege here, but they want presidential records and confidentiality because they got to cover their tracks. But they can't admit. They can't admit, Joe, that this is, in fact, uh, executive privilege and classified information or else it's the rope dope which they, they don't want. Right. OK, late 2015. Alexandra Chalupa, now DNC operative, who has been working on this anti-Paul Manafort. Now, folks, why am I telling you about Chalupa and Manafort? Let me set this up. So, again, we're at late 2015. The Clinton email story is broken already. Mm -hmm. The Russian reset is over because the Russians have invaded Ukraine. There's this woman who's a Ukrainian-American who's working for the DNC, Chalupa. She is now involved in an investigation into Manafort. Manafort's not associated with the Trump campaign right now, but he was later. Huh. Crazy how that happens. Alexandra Chalupa in late... You see where I'm going with this, Joe? I think so, yeah. Alexandra Chalupa, I don't listen, I'm not, I don't get into conspiracy theories. I'm just telling you there are a whole lot of strange coincidences here. 
In other words, Joe Manafort has no relationship with the Trump campaign. Right. Manafort later goes on to be a Trump campaign advisor and chairman later on. Yeah. Manafort is the subject way earlier of an investigation by this woman, Alexandra Chalupa, Mm -hmm. who is a former Clinton official, by the way, who is now working with the DNC and starts sharing her work on Manafort and his, um, you know, supposedly alleged illicit connections to the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. She starts now sharing her work with the DNC and the Clinton campaign. Wow. And then Manafort appears later with the Trump team. Huh? Hmm. Crazy how this stuff happens. You, you, yeah, it, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, all right. That's cool, what I thought in the first at. place, but I'm glad that you, uh, you right. reinforced that. All right, good. 2016. The, New, the National Security uh, uh, Administration database searches are expanded. This is again a hat tip, Cheryl Atkinson, and I will put this. Please read it. It's a really, it's really, really long. Um, it's very, done very journalistically, but it's good. Meaning she st- she's a, she's a just a facts person. I'm trying to tell a story here, so I've had to add some and take some away. But the new timeline will be in uh, my book. We're we're almost done with it. Databases into the National Security uh, Administration's uh, basically searches, metadata searches expand in 2016 from 9.6 thousand in 2013. To 30.3 thousand in 2016. I would call that a threefold increase. Very interesting. What's also fascinating right around this time is in early 2016, Mike Rogers, head of the NSA, becomes suspicious of some inquiry activity into the NSA database. Basically getting information to spy on Americans that seems to have grown dramatically about this time. Hmm. Wow. Crazy how that happens. Things are heating up. Things are going to, oh, it's going to get a lot better. Trust me. We have just begun. What was it? <laughs> we have just begun to fight. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to roll with this thing today. I've been where I'm, I'm like, I've been on this all day. My wife's like, what are you doing? I've got like five pages of notes here. All right. March 2016. Podesta. His email's cracked into. He falls prey to a phishing scam. John Podesta, of course, Clinton consigliere, who was already advised, by the way, already advised people on the Clinton campaign that they are in a world of trouble about those emails to Obama. All of a sudden, he falls prey to a phishing uh, scam on his email, and his emails uh, are, are then captured. Uh, uh, by the way, January of 2016, uh, uh McCabe, Andy McCabe, who uh, beforehand had taken a is that January or June. It looks like I'm sorry, my handwriting's so awful. So forgive me if I'll, I'll correct it if I get it wrong. But it looks like January 2016, McCabe takes the lead on the Clinton investigation. Andy McCabe, remember, was the official who met with Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe is the governor of Virginia. Terry McAuliffe associated organizations and PACs and affiliated ideological partners donate $700,000 to McCabe's wife, who's running as a Democrat for a state Senate seat in Virginia, as McCabe then takes the lead on the Clinton investigation. Clinton and a known uh, ideological ally and friend to Terry McAuliffe. Amazing how that happens. Hmm. March 11, 2016. The Russian operative that has been, uh, the FBI has been targeting using Carter Page, Joe, as a source. Buryakov right. pleads guilty. Carter Page was known to the FBI at this time. 
Remember, folks, what we're tra- what I'm trying to point out here. The Obama team spied on the Trump team and all of these people, Page, Manafort, Million, Agalarov, I'll get to them later, Downer, all of these people who have some affiliation with the FBI, law enforcement, or being investigated by people with the DNC, all of these people now will come into the Trump orbit. Crazy how that happens. March 25th, uh, 2016. Politico reports that Alexandra Chalupa, Ukrainian-American investigating Paul Manafort, who, by the way, is not associated with the Trump team yet, is investigating Manafort's ties to Ukraine now that the Russian reset has collapsed and the Russians have invaded Ukraine, despite our efforts to appease them from Uranium One and other deals. Politico reports that Chalupa meets with the Ukrainians at the embassy to expose ties uh, to Russia with Manafort. Ukrainian embassy, the Ukrainian embassy then proceeds to work, quote, directly with reporters on this. Keep in mind, Chalupa is a former Clinton official working at the DNC. She's all over Manafort at this point. All right. March 29, 2016. Trump hires Manafort. Whoa. That's crazy. Hmm. How did that happen? My gosh. There's a, people just appear in the orbit, Joe. Just like, but Joe, watch this. Just like that. Oh. Amazing how this happens. Trump hires Manafort. March 29, 2016. Manafort jumps on the Trump campaign, right? It's also fascinating. This is a, a, according to news reports. Remember. All of these people in the orbit of the FBI being investigated by Clinton consigliaries, Clinton people, the DNC, Chalupa, uh, these the people associated with Fusion GPS, people associated with Christopher Steele magically appear in the Trump orbit. Crazy how that happens, right? Right around that time, Sergey Milian uh, is alleged to have approached George Papadopoulos. Right around the same time, Trump hires Manafort. Why is Milian approaching Papadopoulos important? Milian is another figure that is rather fascinating because Sergey Milian is alleged, according to multiple media reports, to have been the source of the Trump golden shower story that appears in the dossier. The disgusting, of course, false story about Trump's uh, so-called escapades, let's call them. That was false. Mm-hmm. That story is alleged to have come from Milian. But right around this time in March of 2016, Milian approaches George Papadopoulos, who is now associated with the Trump team, and begins this, what, friendship with him? Wow. Again, crazy how that happens. Now, did somebody suggest Paul Manafort to the Trump team? Hmm. Don't know, because what's fascinating, Joe, is Trump mm-hmm. hires Manafort on March 29th, despite the fact that the DNC through Alexandra Chalupa, a Clinton official, has been looking into him for a long time now. The next day, the same person looking into Manafort, Alexandra Chalupa, briefs the DNC on Russia, Trump, Manafort, and Politico reports an investigation with the Hillary team begins. In conjunction, by the way, with the media. Wow. Crazy. March 29th, Trump hires Manafort. The next day, the same people who've been looking into Manafort forever have this investigation with the Hillary team while they're working with the media to get the stories out there about Manafort. Who suggested Manafort? Drop the chalupa. (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you, I... I, I, I've broken up these shows from yeah. 628 on, but I've never walked people through the entire timeline. All right. 
April 2016, there's a second breach into the DNC. It's fascinating. It's right around this time as well. Perkins Coie, which is a law firm, which has received money for organizing for America, which was uh, Barack Obama's previously Obama for America. It's the remnants of his campaign arm. He doesn't need it anymore. Why? Because he can't run for president again. So it becomes organizing for America. They paid this law firm $700,000. The Clinton team also pays this law firm a substantial sum of money, and this law firm then subsequently hires Fusion GPS right around the same time, April 2016, after this second DNC breach, to begin investigating Trump and Trump-Russia. May I suggest to you that after these breaches, that they may have been inside jobs? We have around the same time a scandal that's yet to be uncovered. I'll get to that a little later. The House IT scandal about the Awan brothers, the Pakistani brothers, who were given access to certain DNC files and DNC computers. May I suggest to you that it's possible, just possible, that the DNC needs an excuse. And right around April of 2016... Perkins Coie, working, uh, being paid by Organizing for America, the former Obama campaign campaign arm, and the Clinton team, Mm -hmm. conveniently hires Fusion GPS, which starts looking for information later on about Russians and Trump because they need a narrative that the Russians hacked the election. Is it possible? Just possible. April 2016. Chalupa. Alexandra Chalupa, same Ukrainian-American operator at the DNC, starts working with Michael Izakoff of Yahoo News. Wow, where did that name come up again? Michael Izakoff of Yahoo News, the same reporter whose information is used in the dossier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they cite Michael Izakoff's reporting to back up their claims in the dossier. The problem is, where did Izakoff get his information from? The exact same source as the other information in the dossier they're trying to back up. In other words, Christopher Steele gave the FBI the information they put in the dossier to say, hey, we want to spy on Trump because look what we have. Oh, and by the way, the media wrote a story on it, too. The media got the story from Steele. It was the same information twice. It was Isakoff's story in Yahoo News. Isakoff's already dealing with Steele during the the application for the dossier. Make sense, Joe? Yep. Conveniently, he's working with Chalupa. It starts around April 2016. April 10th, 2016. Obama claims in an interview that Clinton's uh, email, she didn't intend to harm national security with her email thing. Basically, Joe, this is what I'm doing. Huh. Wink and a nod. You see what I'm doing here? You got uh-huh. Wink and a nod. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Obama in an interview to the FBI, I mean, excuse me, in an interview kind of winks and nods to the FBI and DOJ and says, hey, Hillary didn't intend to harm national security with this email scandal. The FBI begins the exoneration process at this point with a, uh, where, where they start to put together a public statement, and the public statement is going to change multiple times. April 26, 2016. Crazy how this happens. Michael Isikoff, Joe, publishes a story about Paul Manafort in Russia. You see how the Russia story's already starting. Russia, mm-hmm. Russia, Russia. Why? Why is it starting? It's starting because the Obama administration has multiple layers of scandal to cover up, whether it was their debacle in Benghazi, Uranium One. They start to realize Trump could possibly win. They need to develop a backstory. The backstory is starting very, very early. All right. Uh, You know what, folks? Let me get. uh, Sorry. Let me just uh, knock these out here, too. Um, 
let me continue. I'll continue in a second here. Today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Filter By. Big fans of Filter By. They've been with us for a while. Hey, there's a lot of people out there scream and yell on social media about the environment. That's true. I get a lot of that. They scream and yell about how the industry is polluting the air and destroying the planet. I'll bet most of them haven't changed their home air filter since it was installed, though. I know I had. Mine was black. And it was not a charcoal one. It was supposed to be white, but it was black when I pulled it out. It's a simple thing. It can make a huge difference in the air you breathe at home. Visit my friends at Filter By, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. This is a great company. And thank you to everyone who supports our sponsors. They carry over 600 different filter sizes including custom options, all ship free within 24 hours, manufactured right here in the great old USA. It's a great company. Love these guys. FilterBuy offers a multitude of MERV options all the way up to hospital grade, so you'll be removing dangerous pollen, mold, dust, and other allergy-aggravating pollution while maximizing the efficiency of your system. Right now, save 5% when you set up auto delivery, and you'll never need to think about air filters again. Save money. Save time. Take care of your HVAC system. Take care of your lungs. Breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com. FilterBuy.com. Thanks for supporting the show and thanks for supporting our sponsors. Okay. So April. We're in April 2016. April 28, 2016. Chalupa, who again, is just so we keep the 30,000 foot view. Mm-hmm. The Obama team needs to spy on the Trump team, okay? They need information. The Hillary team needs to spy on the Trump team. Chalupa is working at the DNC in a case against Manafort. All of a sudden, Manafort appears in the Trump orbit. Chalupa continues her investigation into Manafort and now investigations into Trump and Russia and other uh, other facets of his relationship with Manafort and by default, the relationship with Russia and uh, Ukraine as well. April 28, 2016, Chalupa meets with Ukrainian journalists at the Library of Congress. Who goes with Chalupa? Oh, Michael Lizakov. Who goes to a Ukrainian embassy reception and later with her. Isikoff, the same reporter for Yahoo News, who is cited in the dossier as an evidentiary source for backup to spy on Carter Page of the Trump team, who had been working with the FBI prior on a case to prosecute a someone associated with Russian spies, a man named Buryakov. Amazing, folks. Amazing how all of these people in the law enforcement under the Obama era under the law enforcement orbit or under the eye of people like Chalupa keep appearing in the Trump orbit. Just crazy how that happens. It's kismet. It, it, <laughs> good point, <laughs> buddy. Okay. May 4th, 2016. Trump gets the GOP nod as the GOP uh, representative for the party in the presidential election. Fascinating here. This Pay attention to this. Yeah. Right around this time, George Papadopoulos, who, by the way, was already approached by Sergey Milian, who's alleged to have been the source of the disgusting Trump golden shower story that makes it back to Fusion GPS, who's working for Hillary. Follow where I'm going with this. Do not do not neglect to pay close attention here. This is important. Right around May, when Trump gets the nod, May 4th of 2016. Incredibly, at the same time, Papadopoulos is in a London bar where he meets with a man named Alexander Downer. Alexander Downer is an Australian uh, diplomat who is associated with the Clintons. As a matter of fact, according to Mark Tapscott at LifeZet, Downer is part of an investigation into some Australian government funds that made it to the Clinton Foundation that may have made it there allegedly under false uh, pretenses. Downer knows the Clintons well. 
right after Trump gets the nod, Downer appears in a London bar with Georgie Papa D. Georgie Papa D, a backbencher Trump affiliate. Maybe Papa D was a target for multiple people. Amazing how Million meets with them. All of a sudden, Million's telling a golden shower story, according to a lot of press reports, to the people involved with the dossier. Downer meets with Papadopoulos. Just they say just months later, Papadopoulos and the, the, the Downer meeting, Downer contacts American intelligence officials and a major counterintelligence investigations opened up into the Trump team. Wow. Crazy. They meet in a London bar. Joe, conveniently from CNN. Here's a report. Hmm. British and other intelligence officials intercepted, uh, excuse me, British and other European intelligence uh, agencies intercepted communications between associates of Donald Trump and Russian officials and other Russian individuals during the campaign and pass those on to communications uh, to other U.S. counterparts, U.S. congressional and law enforcement, and U.S. and European intelligence sources tell CNN. Crazy how they met in that London bar. Crazy how that happens. (laughs) (laughs) You can't make it up. Okay. Conveniently, right around this time, also... Mike Rogers, head of the NSA, starting to grow very suspicious about some queries into the NSA database, basically grabbing information the NSA has acquired on emails, texts, subjects, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Rogers starts to grow suspicious. Incredibly, he grows very suspicious around, quote, Joe, mid-2016, according to Cheryl Atkinson's timeline. Right around the time Trump gets a GOP nod? Crazy how that happens. Just crazy. This is like Looney Tunes. Oh, boy, folks. It was also interesting on this. Again, the NSA, just want you to note, if you missed it prior, the NSA at this time is starting to get uh, some inquiries internally from compliance officers about the expanded use of their database, which jumps from 9,000 inquiries to 30,000 inquiries in 2016. So May 2016, Trump gets the nod. May 2016, Papadopoulos meets with Downer in a London bar. At around this time, CNN's reporting that the British are spying on the Trump team, in fact, or spying on their conversations, quote, with Russians. They meet in a London bar. Downer contacts American intel officials. Downer's a friend of Clinton's. A major counterintelligence investigation is therefore opened up against Donald Trump. Right around the same time, Mike Rogers, the NSA, grows very suspicious about the use of the NSA to, in fact, spy on Americans. Makes sense, Joseph? Yeah, man. I'm liking this so far. Yeah. May of 2016, again. The Inspector General from the Department of Justice confirms it's now looking into Andrew McCabe. Andrew McCabe, whose wife's running for office as a Democrat, being sponsored by Terry McAuliffe, the governor of Virginia, who the FBI was looking into after McAuliffe met with McCabe. Nellie Orr is then hired May of 2016 by Fusion. Remember the information superhighway I spoke about often. The information superhighway is how is all of this information, all these people intersecting with the Trump orbit who already have a pre-existing relationship with either the FBI or the Clinton team? How is it that they keep meeting the Trump team? Who is telling them to do this? Is this just on their own volition or are they such Clinton acolytes or are they friends with law enforcement that they're told and they just know to go and intersect with the Trump team to gather information? I don't know. Nellie Orr is put on the Fusion payroll. Who's Nellie Orr? 
They need an information superhighway. They need information to make it into the U.S. court system to go after the Trump team to put a legal face on this investigation that right now is just based on conjecture and nonsense, golden shower stories that aren't true. What do they do? They Fusion GPS, who's now working. Remember, Fusion GPS is hired by the Clinton team. They also took money from Obama's former campaign arm from that law firm, Perkins Coie. Fusion GPS then hires Nellie Orr, whose wife, Bruce Orr, is an associate deputy attorney general in the Justice Department. They hire her at the same time. Interestingly enough, she goes and gets a ham radio license at the same time as well. Nellie Orr is now on the Fusion payroll a direct connection through her husband into the Department of Justice. June of 2016, Steele's brought on by Fusion. Fascinating. June 3rd of 2016. Remember, just a month earlier, Trump gets a GOP nod. Just a month earlier, Papadopoulos and Downer meet in this London bar, okay? June 3rd, Rob Goldstone, a publicist, emails Trump Jr., and says, hey, I got some information from this guy, Emin Agalarov. He's like a singer-entertainer type. And he says that he was approached by someone who has information about uh, Hillary's illicit dealings with the Russians. Fascinating. You know what, what happens? You know who shows up? Veselnitskaya. That's the source that right. they're citing, Goldstone, in the June 3rd email. Who's it, Natalia Veselnitskaya? She's also working with Fusion GPS. On a separate case. Crazy. I mean, folks, the coincidences here, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, obviously, or nuts. I'm just, I mean, I'm trying to inject a bit of humor in this because it is the biggest spy scandal in American history against an American citizen. Goldstone emails Trump Jr. Hey, we need to set up this meeting with this Russian lawyer. She's connected to the Kremlin and they have uh, information about Hillary's negative dealings with the Russians, whatever it may be. The person who shows up is working for Fusion GPS, another person magically connected by proxy to the Clinton team that shows up to deal with the Trump team. Who's putting them up to this? June 9th is the Trump Tower meet. To be clear, no information exchanges hands. Again, I thought Jonathan Turley made a great point on Fox News last night about this meeting. Was the meeting a bad idea? Yeah. But was the meeting evidence of collusion? Turley's like, Joe, if you were going to collude with the Russians, do you do it in Trump Tower where the media is basically camped downstairs the entire time? And by the way, the information supposed to have been exchanged was information about Hillary's dealing with the Russians, not the Trump team. Now, to be clear, no information exchanges hands. Trump Jr. later releases the entire email chain in what I think is an act of unprecedented transparency, especially given the fact that Hillary's emails we still don't have. June 9th, 2016. Oh, I'm sorry, Trump. That's the Trump Tower meet. Yeah, let's take a note. The next day, Joe. Whoa. Whoa, interesting. This is a little tidbit here. June 9th is the meeting. June 10th, the DNC in an internal meeting starts to blame Russia for the hack of their computer. The hack in quotes, folks, for the hack into their systems. But they don't let the FBI in. So DNC starts filtering around with its own folks. The day after that Trump Tower meeting with a Russian lawyer working for Fusion GPS who's working for Hillary, the next day they start to blame the Russians. You see the narrative? You see the narrative Mm. building? You see how this is working? June 15th. 2016, Guccifer 2.0 publishes Podesta documents, uh, Podesta-related material. June 17th, listen for the narrative again. Remember, Chalupa 
Chalupa, the DNC, the DNC, Hillary, and their relationship with Isakoff and other people in the press. It's clear that whether the press is knowingly or unknowingly involved, they are a mainstay here in the effort to get a narrative out there that the Russians hacked the DNC, despite the fact that they have no evidence, because they know later on they're going to frame Trump for it. Make no mistake. June 17th, Joe. Remember, it's June 10th where the DNC says in this meeting, hey, mm-hmm. We're going to blame the Russians for this. June 17th, Washington Post, front page story titled Inside Trump's Financial Ties to Russia and His Unusual Flattery of Vladimir Putin. Hey, nice job, Washington Post. You guys did a great job carrying water for the Dems there. Crazy how that happened. That story appears right after that. (laughs) These guys are unbelievable. Now. So Washington Post knows something's coming up because on June 22nd, 2016, WikiLeaks releases Clinton and the DNC emails. But don't you worry, folks. The narrative has already been preset that the Russians hacked the DNC despite no hard evidence of that happening and the FBI never being allowed to actually look at the DNC servers for evidence of the hack. They've already set the narrative. These suckers in the press play right along because later on, this is all going to be pinned on Trump. Awfully convenient that all those meetings happened beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. Milian meeting with Papadopoulos. Sergey Milian becomes a source for golden showers. Mm-hmm. Agalarov uh, talks to Rob Goldstone, who knows Trump, who emails Trump about, you know, a, a Russian lawyer coming to meet them with dirt on Hillary. Crazy how that happens. A Russian lawyer is working for Fusion GPS, who's working for Hillary. Downer's already met in a bar. Downer, a, a, a known friend of the Clintons in a bar in London where the GCHQ, as reported by CNN, is already spying on the Trump team. He meets with Papadopoulos, too, who's working for the Trump team. The narrative's all there. All the pieces are coming together just in case Trump wins. All right. Thank you, Joseph. Yes. Joe's giving me the sign there because he knows I get upset when I lose people. Uh, June 2016, DC, uh, DC Leaks starts releasing the DNC emails. Conveniently, right around the same time, as again, hat tip Cheryl Atkinson, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau in the Ukraine, oh, in Ukraine, excuse me, it's not the Ukraine, everybody does that. The National Anti-Corruption Bureau, Joe, in Ukraine releases a ledger on Paul Manafort and his supposedly illicit payments. Interesting how Ukraine is now working with uh, Chalupa and them as well. June 30th, 2016, remember the email investigations going on uh, into Hillary at this time. It's being led by Andy McCabe, whose wife is running as a Democrat, supported by groups that support Hillary and the governor of Virginia, who's already met with McCabe. But June 13th of 2016, the wording starts to get changed on what's going to be a a July 5th Comey press conference on the Hillary investigation. Hmm. There are some critical changes on Comey's speech that are made here. They change grossly negligent to extremely careless in the speech while talking about Hillary's involvement in the email scandal. So we're crystal clear. Why is that important? Because grossly negligent is the actual legal language used in the statute to prosecute cases like this. Classified information leaks. That wording is changed to extremely careless. Critical. They change it from legal language, Joe. To just common everyday language right. to, to make absolutely sure that the exoneration later will look better. Mm-hmm. But here's the most important takeaway from this that commonly gets left out. Atkinson doesn't miss it, but some other reporters do. 
they also changed the wording in the piece to she emailed the president of the United States from Russia, Hillary, on her private email. What a rope-a-dope. I believe, I believe that may have been done on purpose to rope President Obama into this scandal so they can't prosecute her later. Look, Obama did it too. Mm-hmm. Right? They changed, she emailed the President of the United States to a senior government official. They then wipe out any reference to senior government official at all. Folks, whoever was reading Comey's speech that they're preparing for July 5th, and days later, about Hillary Clinton and the and what he Comey is going to uh, claim is an exoneration, even though he has no authority to do so as an investigator, not a prosecutor, they eliminate any reference to the email to Obama. I'm telling you the email to Obama and the emails are the next shoe to drop. Once those emails are exposed, the house of cards comes down because Obama clearly would have known he was emailing Hillary on an unsecure system. And the content of those emails, God forbid, they mentioned Perkins Coie, the law firm taking money from OFA, organizing for America, form, for organizing for America, formerly Obama for America, which hired this firm to dig up uh, dirt on Trump while the press and the DNC is working together to put this uh, false narrative out there about the Russians um, hacking into the DNC. False because they didn't know. We may find out later it's in fact true. Nobody knows that now. The FBI has not looked at that. But that's why I believe they get POTUS out of there, the President of the United States, the reference out of there, and any reference to a senior government official. Mm. Okay. July 2016, Carter Page takes a trip to Russia. Wow. Interesting. Carter Page, who had previously worked with the FBI in the prosecution of Buryakov, uh, working with the Russians. So Page had worked with the FBI. He then takes his trip to Russia. Now, the trip is publicly disclosed. I don't know Carter Page again. I'm not defending this guy's speeches in Russia. Some of the stuff he said was, I think, pretty reprehensible. But it's interesting that Page takes a trip to Russia right around the time that the Minister of Foreign Affairs for the Ukraine starts attacking Trump on social media posts. And Susan Wright starts, uh, starts generating a, a nearly unprecedented amount of unmasking requests to unmask people who are being monitored by U.S. intel agencies. Weird. <laughs> July 2nd. Uh, stroke. Uh, Peter Stroke starts getting involved with the Clinton investigation. Peter Stroke, of course, who starts texting his love interest and obviously can't stand Donald Trump. He's a senior FBI manager. Mm-hmm. Interesting, by the way, that, that, just, uh, that, had, that happens right around the time, just three days before uh, the July 5th Jim Comey speech. July 5th, 2016, Jim Comey gives a speech. He gives a public speech. Everybody saw it. Joe and I saw it. Mm-hmm. Jim Comey's public speech, he basically exonerates Hillary Clinton. I already told you about how the speech was changed multiple times to eliminate a reference to Obama and, el- and eliminate legal language. Right around July 5th, 2016, Christopher Steele, who's now working for Fusion GPS to gather dirt on Trump from Russians, meets with the FBI. Wow, just days later, Peter Stroke opens up a Trump counterintelligence investigation as Chalupa leaves the DNC, Joe, to work full-time on Russia stuff against Trump. Hmm. July 31st, 2016. A formal counterintelligence investigation into Donald Trump is open, and the framing and the setup of Donald Trump is now full bore. August 14th, 15th, the New York Times and CNN start doing reports on Manafort. 
Manafort's strange connections to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. On August 15th, right after these New York Times reports on Manafort, which they've been working on, by the way, through Chalupa the entire time, way before Manafort joins the Trump team. That is interesting, to say the least. McCabe, Andy McCabe, meets with Peter Stroke in the office. And this is important. This is on August 15th. They talk about an insurance policy in case Trump is elected. Of course, Stroke is virulently anti-Trump. He's having an affair with Lisa Page, a DOJ attorney who hates Trump as well. Andy McCabe, of course, is already, uh, as we know, under investigation for his suspicious ties to Terry McAuliffe, a Democrat, and by default, the Clinton campaign. They meet in his office a day after that report on Manafort. They start talking about an insurance policy in case Trump is elected. Don't forget that term. It's going to come up in a few minutes. Okay. August 19th, Paul Manafort resigns from the Trump campaign. Not coincidental. August of 2016, again, a wiretap on Manafort goes forward, which is interesting because I'm going to read to you from CNN Politics. This is is a CNN piece, by the way, folks. The conversations between Manafort and Trump continued after President Trump took office. Long after the FBI investigation into Manafort was publicly known, the sources told CNN. This is where it's fascinating. They went on until lawyers for the president and Manafort insisted that they stop, according to the sources. It's unclear whether Trump himself was picked up on the surveillance. The framing operation is in full force. Mm-hmm. Remember what I just told you, August 2016. Mm-hmm. Wire, uh, wire tap on Manafort. September 2016, the steel ore superhighway uh, heats up. It's Christopher Steele, of course, now being paid by Fusion GPS, by default being played by the Clintons through Perkins Coie. He's generating negative information on Trump. Steele, we know, is meeting with Bruce Orr. He, Bruce Orr's wife is working for Fusion GPS. Bruce Orr is associate deputy attorney general. Bruce Orr conveniently was also involved with Project Cassandra, uh, an operation very controversial, according to a Politico report, because they may have suppressed some uh, important information or the, the progress of a case at a minimum into Hezbollah and Iran. As I've told you, the Iran deal is obviously a priority with the Obama administration as well. So Orr has been a controversial figure. So Steele meets with Orr in the superhighway. Conveniently, right around the same time, Christopher Steele meets with Jonathan Weiner, a State Department official with known ties to the Clintons, worked for the Bill Clinton administration. Weiner has already admitted as such. This is the information superhighway. This is how information paid for by the Clintons for Christopher Steele to go out and gather up is making it into our justice system. It's going in now through the State Department, through Jonathan Weiner. It's going into the Justice Department, through Bruce Orr. And Steele is now regularly meeting with the FBI. This guy is working for a political campaign. September 2nd, 2016, Lisa Page and Peter Stroke text each other back and forth that the President of the United States, POTUS, wants to know everything. That's convenient. September 2016, Christopher Steele's offered $50,000 by the FBI to corroborate his information about Trump and the dossier about his horrible business dealings in Russia and how he's working with the Russians to overturn the election. He flies to Rome, Steele. Right around the same time, State Department official Jonathan Weiner meets with Sid, uh, uh, Sidney Blumenthal, otherwise known as Sid Vicious, known Clinton consigliere who was banned even by the Obama administration from working in the government. 
Blumenthal has some operations in Libya where Benghazi happens. Blumenthal has an interest, obviously, in making a lot of the situation in Benghazi go away and not having his emails uncovered. Weiner is the special envoy to Libya. Weiner is now meeting with Blumenthal as well. Blumenthal is also working with Cody Shearer. Cody Shearer is gathering intel in Benghazi and Libya at the same time. Interesting. Right around this time, the National Security Division of the Department of Justice starts to realize something's going on, that Mike Rogers at the NSA is becoming suspicious of some spying activities. The National Security Division head at the time is a man named John Carlin. John Carlin, conveniently, was Bob Mueller's former chief of staff. They sniff around. They realize big trouble happening here. We're National Security Division, the DOJ. Did we have something to do with all this spying? We better beat them to the punch, Joe. Mike Rogers, and we better ask for our own inquiry. That way we can CYA. Mm -hmm. We can cover, or COA, cover our. mm. So they file a report with the Federal, uh, the, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to look into this stuff. September 26, 2016. Obama expands the distribution of unmasked intelligence to the National Counterterrorism Center. Unmasked intelligence, the same unmasked intelligence that's happening now, unmasking of of, of American citizens happening at record numbers. At the same time, the NSA and Mike Rogers are looking into the use of the NSA database at the same time to spy on Americans. At the same time, CNN, at least during this period, is reporting that the British and other foreign entities are working on passing information to American intel. Conveniently, the next day after Obama expands this operation, September 27th, National Security uh, uh, Division head at the DOJ, Carlin, steps down. Right around the same time, Mike Rogers is making inquiries about the use of all of this uh, of all of this information. Now, an important point here that the conservative treehouse guys brought up that was interesting. The National Security Division. Why is this important and why is Carlin important? Because In a 2015 memo by Sally Yates, who was later fired by Donald Trump, in a 2015 memo, the National Security Division is protected from basically oversight by the Inspector General, what is the equivalent of the Government Internal Affairs Division. I'm not going to tell you they can do whatever they want, but they can do a lot without a lot of oversight that other divisions are subjected to. Did this spying start there? What did Carlin know? Why did Carlin, after it was starting to become public that there was some tapping into the NSA database that may have been inappropriate. And we know we later find out in April of next year is inappropriate. Why does Carlin step down nearly the day after this expanded operation goes on? And as this, this is very curious, the timing as Rogers is seeking an inquiry to the spying activity. Very, it's puzzling. Yeah. October 30th, 2016, the compliance officer on this case briefs, uh, uh, briefs uh, 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 Rogers, excuse me, and this is the disturbing information that comes out of this: that the some of the spying information that was uh, that was some of the spying operation that was going on at the NSA. Some of the information was shared with private contractors and third parties. Who the hell was that? Wait, who's getting access to our our, our metadata? Private parties, uh, private contractors, and third parties. Who were those people? Non-government officials. All right, folks, one more. It's going to get better here. I'm going to wrap this up for you. I'm going to tie this up in a neat little bow for you. 
Um, today's show also brought to you by buddies at Brickhouse Nutrition. Uh, thanks to Miles. He sent me a box of Field of Greens. Yeah, I got a big box yo, yesterday of this stuff. I love that <laughs> stuff. It's so good. It tastes like Kool-Aid to me. I don't. I love it. I put it in water right before I go to sleep. Field of Greens, the best fruit and vegetable a supplement out there. Everybody knows you have to eat your fruits and vegetables. Brain health, body health. This is not a mystery. Every doctor since you've been a kid, nutrition, uh, science, professional, everyone, dietitian, doesn't matter. Says, eat your fruits and vegetables. Eat them. A lot of us don't have time. Some of them can be hard to cook. You got to go shopping. They're very perishable. So what did these guys over at Brickhouse Nutrition did? They created a fruit and vegetable. It's not a supplement. This is real food. It's ground up food. You take the water out of it and you get all the good stuff, the micronutrients, the macronutrients. This is the best product on the market. I love it. It tastes terrific. Where else are you going to get cherries? You're going to get blueberries. You're going to get kale. You're going to get green tea. This is really terrific stuff. It's called Field of Greens. It tastes great. I love it. I throw it in water. It tastes like Kool-Aid to me, but I have I just really enjoy it. I got my fresh supply yesterday. Check it out at BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Go pick it up, Field of Greens. Consider it your fruit and vegetable insurance. It is a terrific product. I wouldn't recommend this company if I didn't believe it. Key to good health, folks. Good fruits and vegetables. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Go pick it up, Field of Greens today. Okay. So the NSA, Mike Rogers, now suspicious. Uh, right around of what's going on. There's some some spying going on. The compliance officer briefs him on some issues here. Right around uh, September of 2016, now Simpson, uh, Christopher uh, Simpson, uh, Glenn Simpson, excuse me, uh, meets with the New York Times, the Washington Post, and others. Who is Christopher Simpson? He, of course, is the proprietor there of uh, Fusion GPS that's working with the Clinton team to go get information about Trump and the Russians so they can frame Trump for the alleged Russian hack of the DNC. Simpson meets with the New York Times and Washington Post. Where? In September 2016, at the office of the general counsel for the Democratic National Committee. Yeah. <laughs> October, you can't make it up, brother. You can't. October 3rd, 2016, Anthony Weiner, congressman from New York's computer, has seized. Conveniently, the next day, October 4th, Jim Comey, by the way, this happens in New York, the seizure in the New York field office of the FBI. This is going to be important. October 4th, the next day, Jim Comey replaces the head of counterintelligence at the New York field office. Wow, another one of those crazy coincidences. What happened in the Wiener case? From a very reliable source of mine, people in New York, uh, they were afraid of a leak with the New York field office of the FBI about potentially... problematic emails from Hillary Clinton to Huma Abedin, who is the spouse of Anthony Weiner, on Weiner's emails. Weiner is being investigated for some illicit conversations with an underaged woman. You know the story. Apparently, Comey is afraid of leaks out of the New York field office that could potentially damage Hillary Clinton after he exonerated her. Mm -hmm. So Comey beats him to the punch, and Comey is forced then to give a press conference. He had to give about this Wiener case because he didn't want the information about the Hillary emails getting out if he couldn't control it. But the next day, he replaces the head of the New York uh, Field Office Counterintelligence Division. Timing is always convenient in these cases. October 7, 2016. Jim Clapper, Director of National Intelligence, starts to filter out this story that the Russians hacked the DNC. This is real, man. This happened. The Russians, remember, they got to set up Trump for something, Mm -hmm. but they need a something, and the something's going to be this Russia hack because the dossier, the, the dossier is a story about Russians grabbing a hold of Hillary's emails through the hack and working with Trump to get them out to take the election. You understand that, right, right, folks? That's what the dossier is. So they, but keep in mind, they already had this story that the Russians hacked the election 
and the Russians hacked the DNC. Right. And that Trump was working with them. They just needed Steele to go generate a fake dossier to confirm this story. The story's already there. So Jim Clapper playing along like a good little soldier. October 7th, he uh, starts to filter this story out about how the Russians hacked the DNC. October 13th, Obama uh, gives uh, gives some public statements on the problem with fake news. Obama's already preparing the narrative. The Russians hacked the election. They started, uh, uh, you know, imparting fake news stories on the American public through buying up Facebook stuff. Obama's already uh, playing into this narrative. So he gives this story about fake news out there to the press. No one, they'll run with it. October 2016, right around the same time, the FISA court approves a warrant against Carter Page, who's already known to the FBI. The FBI needs a patsy. Carter Page is already familiar with them by working with them on the Buryakov case. Page has already conveniently taken a trip to Moscow. And wow, using the dossier about the Trump relationship with Russia as evidence as buttressed by a news story by Yahoo News' Michael Isikoff, who's working with Alexandra Chalupa from the DNC, they go into the FISA court, they get a warrant to spy on Carter Page, who is working with the Trump team, and now they can get his emails forward, his emails backwards, and his texts, and they can, by default, put a legal cover on an effort to frame the Trump team and spy on them. <sighs> October 24, 2016. Benjamin Witties, good friend to Jim Comey in his Lawfare blog, writes about the need of a, quote, insurance policy in case Trump is elected. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like what happened in the meeting just months earlier in Andy McCabe's office with Peter Stroke, where they talked about an insurance policy in case Trump's elected. Now Benjamin Witte's friend of Jim Comey actually writes in a blog about a need for an insurance policy in October in Mm. case Trump is elected. By the way, the election's just weeks later. The FISA Intelligence Surveillance Court, October 26, 2016, two days after the Witties thing. Briefs Obama about serious Fourth Amendment issues in the FISA court. Breaches of the Fourth Amendment. Search and seizure. There's a problem, folks. There's some spying going on that should not have been happening. October 28, two days after that. Jim Comey conveniently notifies Congress uh, that they're going to open up an investigation into the Wiener thing and that there may be some Hillary Clinton emails. He has to. Why? Because the New York field office already knows. The New York field office of the FBI already knows there's an investigation. Comey had to send the email. He was protecting Hillary. November 6, 2016. Comey again exonerates Hillary Clinton. Amazing how that happens. This guy is just like, he's Hillary Clinton's best friend. November 8, 2016. Trump is elected president. Susan Rice's interest in NSA, uh, again, hat tip Cheryl Atkinson. Susan Rice's interest in NSA uh, intercepts and NSA information accelerates dramatically. November 8, 2016, right around this time, Bruce Orr, Associate Deputy Attorney General in the Department of Justice, whose wife is working with Fusion GPS, who's working with Hillary, meets again with with Glenn Simpson from Fusion GPS, right after Trump is elected. November 17, 2016, Mike Rogers, who's been suspicious of the spying in the NSA for a while now, apparently meets with Trump at Trump Tower. November 18th, the Trump team evacuates Trump Tower the next day. Does the March 4th, we've been wiretapped the Trump Tower tweet by Trump make a little more sense? 
Mike Rogers meets with Trump on November 17th. He obviously knows what's going on. He waits about 10 days, enough time for a skiff to go up, a sensitive compartmented information facility where he can talk privately with Trump. I wasn't there for the meeting, but it's I think the evidence is there that he may have told Trump something about some illicit operation he already knows is going on to spy on him. How do we know that? Because he's already got briefed by his compliance officer about this. Trump leaves Trump Tower the next day and goes and does his meetings in Bedminster. December 8, 2016, Hillary Clinton, after the election, denounces fake news. The same thing Obama had given a public statement about just weeks earlier, knowing they're going to blame fake news on the Russians, which they're going to blame on Trump. December 15, 2016, this is where I'm, I'm a little confused, and I have to be honest. If there's a source out there who knows something, and you're credible, don't you know? Don't email me nonsense. I mean, you, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I get a lot of stuff. I, I can't do speculation. It's not fair to the audience. But if you know something about this, this doesn't make sense to me, Joe. Mm-hmm. So November 18th, Trump evacuates Trump Tower and his right. team. They clearly know something's up. They're being spied on. But December 15th, there's another Trump Tower meeting. Flynn's there, Bannon's there, and Jared Kushner. They meet with the United Arab Emirates. This is the meeting that Susan Rice uses as an excuse to unmask a lot of Trump administration officials because the Obama team wasn't told by the UAE about this meeting. Clear on, let me be clear on this. United Arab Emirates comes to the United States. Obama's still the president. It's the transition now, Joe. Trump's Mm -hmm. the president-elect. They don't tell the Obama team. The Obama team, with nothing illegal about that, by the way, The Obama team's pissed off. The Obama team uses that meeting at Trump Tower to then go and unmask various officials on the Trump team and spy on them. Devious little plot. Now, my guess here is uh, the meeting happens at Trump Tower because there aren't like bugs in the wall there, folks. At this point, uh, Trump has some technical security division support from the Secret Service, and it's clear the room would be swept. My guess is at this point, the room is clear and the skiff is set up and they're back at Trump Tower for meetings. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah. They're, they're relatively comfortable now that they can talk mm-hmm. in peace. That, but the unmaskings around the meeting doesn't necessarily mean the meeting itself was spied on. Okay. But it's still interesting they went back there despite the evacuation. Yeah. All right. Almost done, folks. I'm going to have to wrap up this part of it because I want to fit this in one show. December 29th, 2016. This is critical. Obama issues sanctions against the Russians while Mike Flynn is vacationing in the Dominican Republic, the incoming national security advisor, advisor, he's vacationing in the Dominican Republic and does not have access to the complex set of secure communications he would have at home. That's important. People must have known Flynn was in the Dominican Republic. They issue the sanctions knowing what? That the Russians are going to do what, Joe? Call Mike Flynn. A call that is subsequently recorded in transcripts with Mike Flynn and then used against him as as evidence to prosecute him, despite the fact that the FBI interviews him on January 24th and later says, as Jim Comey stated, they believed he was telling the truth about his conversation or lack of knowledge about the conversation about the sanctions. As I said to you before, Flynn is on vacation in the Dominican Republic. What do people do on vacation? Maybe, you know, they're vacationing and they're having a good time and relaxing. Maybe they don't remember all the details. It's important. Early January, uh, the FISA warrants renewed against Page. Lynch, uh, Loretta Lynch, the attorney general, signs documents uh, formalizing the the uh, widespread dissemination of intel within the government. Uh, 
wider than it was before that. Interesting, right around January 3rd, she does that. January 5th, 20, uh, 2017, the infamous by the book meeting occurs at the White House between Obama, Jim Comey, Susan Rice, and the vice president. A meeting later memorialized in an email Susan Rice sends to herself just minutes after Trump is inaugurated, where she claims Obama told them to conduct this investigation, quote, by the book. Interestingly enough, the next day after this January 5th meeting at the White House about the counterintelligence investigation of the Trump, which Susan Rice felt the need to send an email to herself about, maybe covering her butt. The next day, Comey heads up to Trump Tower to brief Donald Trump on the dossier, but tells him it's salacious and unverified. Now, the meeting with Donald Trump about the dossier, which the media knows they can't confirm, Joe, becomes a story in and of itself. Why? We may not be able to confirm the dossier, but now we can confirm they met with the dossier. Hmm. Genius. January 5th, folks, Obama meets with Comey. They talk about the investigation. Susan Rice admits it in an email to herself. She also says, hey, it was we, I, Obama told Comey to do everything by the book. The next day, they talk about the dossier in a January 5th meeting. The media needs to get a hold of the dossier, but they can't print it because they know it's bull. Mm. The following day, Comey meets with Trump. What a beautiful, elegant setup. Hey, there's this dossier out there that's salacious and unverified. BuzzFeed, hey, we can report on the dossier. Mm. The FBI director told him about it. And by the way, here's the dossier. Here's everything it says. Nice job, fellas. You guys are amazing. Okay, January 11th, BuzzFeed publishes the story on the dossier just five days after Comey meets with them. Amazing how they got a hold of that, huh? January 20th, uh, Trump becomes POTUS, the President of the United States. Just days after that, the head of the British spying intelligence agency, the corollary of the NSA, the GCHQ, Robert Hannigan, steps down. Steps down almost immediately and unexpectedly after CNN had reported that the GCHQ was, in fact, spying on the Trump team. He resigns right after Trump is elected. Again, just another convenient story there. The same time, again, September 2016, Manafort, they, they talk about Manafort being wiretapped. Uh, sorry, I mean to throw you off there. I have some side notes here. Uh, minutes after Trump's elected, Han- again, Hannigan steps down a few days later, but Susan Rice sends her the email about that meeting on January 5th where they talked about the investigation, where the next day uh, Comey briefs Trump on the, uh, on the dossier, which makes it into the media. January 31st, Sally Yates, Deputy Attorney General, who shielded the National Security Division from oversight by the Inspector General. National Security Division is involved in the spying operation on Trump. Yates is fired by Donald Trump. Andy Weissman, who is now the bulldog for the special counsel, sends Yates an email congratulating her for her work on refusing to enforce Trump's travel ban. Andy Weissman is now the head pit bull on Robert Mueller's special counsel looking into Trump. February 2nd, the House IT Awan scandal breaks about the, what I told you before, Pakistani brothers who may have had access to DNC emails. May I suggest to you that may have more to do with this story than a Russian hack? Okay, March 2017, Jim Comey briefs Congress on the investigation when questioned by Representative Elise Stefanik about uh, the procedures for notification. Comey says he did not notify congressional overseers uh, because of the uh, basically unique circumstances of the case. 
how it was a sensitive case. Interesting, because the whole purpose of the FBI briefing congressional oversight committees is, is to brief them about sensitive investigations. What was Comey hiding? March 22nd, Devin Nunez, right around this time, goes to the White House, goes to the White House and sees information that's extremely troubling. He has to wait till after the Trump DNI is appointed, Director of National Intelligence. He goes to the White House, information only contained on computers at the White House. That's important. And he looks at information that troubles him so much, he gives a press conference basically talking about an operation to look into the Trump team. That information was only available at the White House. May 9th, Jim Comey's fired. May 12th, Benjamin Witte's the same guy who wrote about the insurance policy in the Lawfare blog, who's a friend of Jim Comey. Works with a New York Times reporter to leak sensitive Jim Comey memos that were given to him by Jim Comey to start a special counsel investigation into Donald Trump. Just four days later, the New York Times New York Times actually leaks that and leaks a portion of these memos. May 17th, Bob Mueller is appointed to investigate Donald Trump. The framing operation is now complete. All right, folks. Go to Bongino.com. I'll put up the links. You can see the Cheryl Atkinson timeline. You can see the CNN piece. You can see the CNN piece on Manafort spying. I'll put them up there today. Don't miss it. Thanks, folks. See you later. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.